Good morning. You know, we've been in the middle of an Advent series that's been playing off the literary classic A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, the story about Ebenezer Scrooge and the themes of Christmas past and Christmas present and Christmas future. A couple of Sundays ago, Doug kind of took us through the gift of Christ at the first Christmas and just the enormous implications that that has on our past, especially the parts of our past that are broken and wounded and uh, sinful. And it really tells, the, Doug told us a story about how God demonstrated his loving mercy and his faithfulness to us by fulfilling the prophecies that had foretold of a coming Messiah. And he, uh, he brought this Messiah, and the Messiah would change literally the trajectory of all of humankind. And God was faithful to that promise. And he sent us his only son, Jesus, fully God and fully man. And it was through Jesus and his redemption and his healing that it came to all of us through Jesus' birth, his life, his sacrificial death, and through the resurrection. One of the verses that Doug shared with us I just kind of want to bring us back to is Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. This is what it says. It says, When the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son to be born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. That's the good news of the Christmas story. And then last Sunday, Doug shared with us some significant implications from the first Christmas to our present reality. Uh, What are we to make of this baby Jesus? What do we do with him? Well, if we believe the gospel witness, we know that Jesus is Emmanuel, which literally means God is with us and God is for us. One of the verses he shared was God, uh, the word, Jesus, became flesh and he dwelt among us. And then uh, Isaiah 9, verses, verse 7, really gives us the, the picture of what this Messiah would look like. Uh, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The gift of Jesus demonstrates literally how much God loves us. He's not a creator like a clockmaker who kind of makes the creation and he sets it in motion then he stands away at a far distance and kind of watches the chaos as it happens. No, we worship a God who loves his creation so much that he's given us his only son, a son who is present, a son who shares his divine wisdom with us, who's at powerfully at work in our, in our reality. And he offers us everlasting care and a son who gives us peace beyond any understanding that we can have in this world. That's a Savior worth worshiping. A God, Again, God is with us and God is for us. And so now we come to consider the future. Are there any implications for the future because of what has happened at Christmas? You know, when I was thinking about the future this week, I, I thought, well, I want to go and see what some of the presidents in our country have said about the future. And so I came up with a couple of important quotes, I think, that I want to share with you this morning. The first comes from President Kennedy. This is what he said. He said, change is the law of life, and those who look only to the past or the present are sure to miss the future. So he's pointing us, hey, not only look at the past and the present, but also consider the implications of the future. I like what Thomas Jefferson said. He said, "I, I like the dreams of the future better than the history of the past. Thomas Jefferson was a very forward thinker. He pushed us to think about the future. 
And then our current president, President Trump, this is what he said. He says, no dream is too big, no challenge too great, nothing we want for our future is beyond our reach. These presidents all seem to be hopeful about the future as they look at it. But I I wondered as well this week, what's the general attitude of Americans as we think about the future? Uh, So I I went to a survey that was done recently by the American Council on Science and Health, and uh, this is what they reported. They reported kind of the depressing news that only 6% of Americans, when they consider the whole of what's going on, think the future looks hopeful. That's kind of a bummer, isn't it? I think that only 6% of us think that the world is getting better. It seems that we're more fearful than hopeful when we consider what the future might hold. When asked to offer reasons for their pessimism about the future, this is what some of their responses were when they said they didn't think it looked very bright. They raised concerns about the seemingly growing hate and violence in our culture and the world today. They also mentioned the political divisions in our own country that seem to work against us, making progress moving forward in the future. They also mentioned racial tensions and divisions seem higher than they have been since the 1960s. And economically, uh, while the stock market has risen this past year, uh, they also said that most people in the middle class and lower classes, uh, if they look at their income and their buying power today versus 20 years ago, uh, their economy is not as strong as what it once was. And so, for the most part, whether these are facts or perceptions, uh, perception is reality. If we look at our perceptions, the future looks concerning. I wonder if we kind of compared our attitudes about the future with what what did people during Jesus' day, what were their thoughts about the future? What was their attitude in Israel 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just a few miles from the big city of Jerusalem, you know, what, what, were they pe- more pessimistic or were they more optimistic about the future? Well, let's consider a few things that we know about that culture and their condition in that day. So Israel was uh, a part of the Roman Empire, uh, and the life expectancy in the Roman Empire at that time was about 40 years old. That's what the average life expectancy was. That's if you survived infancy. If you factor in infant death rates, then literally the average life expectancy was about 25 and a half years in that day. That's pretty tough if we think about that condition 2,000 years ago. Economic income compared to today would be somewhere between $100 to $3,000 a year. That's what their buying power would have been in our time today. That's not a whole lot of money, is it? If you look at the government, again, they were occupied by the Roman Empire and and the Romans' government was uh, uh, oppressive to smaller states that it ruled, and it collected as many taxes as it could to pay for their military and for their government. And so their tax rates were often, well, literally, it was as much as they could get out of somebody, but they tended to average somewhere between a third to a half of a person's income. So think about it. If you're making 100 to $3,000 a year, half of that is going to pay for taxes to a government that you don't even like in that situation. So to the world back then and to the world today, the future looks a little gloomy. We can look to the future and we can be concerned and we can be all a little little frightened of things that we don't control or of the unknown. But to those who seek God expectantly, to those who have with faith received the gift of God's love through the birth of his son, the future, I think, looks bright, doesn't it? God has given us so much Uh, through his son Jesus. And there are so many things that he promises us 
uh, to look forward to that we'll get to experience in the future. And I want us to look at Simeon out of the story that was read earlier uh, when Jesus as a baby was taken to the temple to be dedicated by his parents. And we're told that, that Simeon was a devout and a righteous Jew. We knew also that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he was not going to die until he had an opportunity to see the Lord's Christ. That's a pretty, uh, just a pretty awesome promise for a Jew in that day to have been given. It's pretty cool. You know, one, think about it, you, you know that you would, you would not die until you had seen the promised Messiah had come. Again, to a Jew, that would have been an awesome thing to have experienced. The second thing is, again, you would know that you wouldn't die until you see him. Just think about it. Simeon, most people believe, was an older man. And think about it. Every night that he went to bed, people who are older probably would be concerned that they might pass away in the middle of the night. But if you hadn't seen the Messiah yet, you didn't have to worry about it. You didn't have to pray the prayer, if I should die tonight. Because if you hadn't seen the Messiah yet, you knew you weren't going to die. And so he had this promise that he was going to see the Messiah. You know, Simeon could have been discouraged like many of the Jews were in that day. The Jews didn't like being occupied by the Romans. They didn't like the high taxes. They didn't like the burden that it put on all of them. He could have been discouraged that the Messiah had not come yet. But Simeon doesn't appear to be discouraged in this story. In fact, he appears to be hopeful, even expectant that God's going to complete his promise. And Simeon's living in the light of the future hope brings perspective to his present. Simeon believed that God had a plan, that God had a plan, and that God was at work to bring about the consolation of Israel. That's what it says in the Word. So what does the consolation of Israel mean? It literally means that when the Messiah would come, they understood and they believed that God would redeem and restore Israel, both the nation but also the people. And so he was hopeful. And Simeon's hopefulness in God's faithfulness is confirmed when he meets the infant Jesus and the Holy Spirit confirms to him that this is indeed the promised Messiah. And he praises God. Look again at the scripture passage. Look at what he says when he, when he sees Jesus and it's confirmed that this is the Messiah. This is how he praises God. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Because of Christ's coming, the future is hopeful. Initially, Simeon had been hopefully looking forward to the coming of Messiah, but now that he finally meets him in the flesh, his hope increases as he realizes the future implications of Christ's coming. Salvation, he understands, is going to be offered through this child to all, to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Simeon understands in some measure to see Jesus is to see God's salvation at work. To see Jesus is to see God's light in his revelation. To see Jesus for who he really is completely changes our perspective on everything, on our past, on our present reality but especially on our future, to have hope for a radically different future, not only for ourselves, but for our, for our world. Jesus changes everything as we look to the future. We have hope in the near future because we know that when we receive the gift of Christ as our Savior and our Lord, that Jesus is working to bring about our transformation into a new being. 
Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is what Paul writes. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Now, Paul speaks to an immediate transformation that happens in our lives when we give our hearts to Jesus. We are instantly made righteous by the life and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. However, if we're willing to be honest as we look at our lives, even if we're Christians, we know that there are still times that we're not holy. That there are things that we do that we shouldn't do, and there are things that we don't do that we should do, right? The good news is that Jesus, through the gift and the work of his Holy Spirit, is continually bringing about transformation in, in, our, in our lives. He's transforming us into the likeness of Christ. Listen to what the Apostle Paul talks about in a passage from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. God's not finished with us yet. He's working out our transformation. That should cause us to be hopeful. For some of us, including myself, myself, that uh, there's a lot of perfecting work that God still has to do in my life and in your life. But no matter whether we are farther or we're closer to Christ in our perfection, in that transforming work that God is doing, God promises us that ultimately all of us, again, who have received Christ, will be perfected in Christ one day. We're going to be made complete, perfected in Christ in the future. That's worth looking forward to. The future looks hopeful. So the short-term future looks hopeful because of Christ's transforming power at work in our lives, but also our long-term future looks bright as well. The season of Advent has two, a two-fold purpose. We recall the Lord's entrance into our world and the, what he did to destroy the, the power of sin and the power of death in our world. It's also a time that we look forward to the hope and the promise of the second Advent, of Christ's returning when he's going to return again. And for 2,000-plus years, we've lived with hope of Christ's imminent Return. Some people regretfully uh, focus on more the predictive part of that, of that promise. They, they try to either convince us that Jesus is going to be coming soon and, and any day, or they try to predict that it's not going to happen in my lifetime, and they kind of focus on all that. But Scripture kind of tells us that we're really not going to know the time or the date of when Jesus is going to come. He simply, Jesus simply told us to be spiritually prepared, to be watching, to be ready for his return. Look at Simeon. Even before the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he was going to meet the Messiah uh, before he died, we're told that Simeon, before he had that prophecy, he was righteous and devout. That he was eagerly anticipating, he was eagerly looking for the coming of the Messiah. So are we geared up? Are we geared up for the return of Jesus? And if Jesus came today, would we greet him as a friend or would we greet him as a stranger? How would that greeting go? See, God is the sovereign author of history, which means events are leading up to a conclusion that's already been authored. And we know that at least some of the details of what's going to happen. The end of the world is not frightening to us because we understand that Jesus will come to transform this fallen world into a new world and a new kingdom. It's something that we get to look forward to. And at Christmas, we celebrate the beginning of the mission of Christ that he will complete at his second coming one day. Jesus came announcing a message that we call the gospel, which simply means good news, right? 
And when I was growing up, my dad worked uh, in the radio business. And one of the things he taught me about journalism is the first rule of journalism is good news is not news. And our world and our our media tends to focus on the negative things in in the news. Things like violence and corruption and scandal and, and natural disasters and disease and so on. When Jesus returns, there will not be any bad news to report. All the evil in the world will be finished. Jesus assured his followers, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in the second advent, when he returns in glory, in the meantime, he comes to us through his Holy Spirit and through the the gifts and the love of people who have been forgiven and who are living out changed lives. He calls on us to love our neighbors until they ask us why, and then we can point them to a loving God through the manger and through the cross. And through the tomb. So in the Christmas carol, Ebenezer Scrooge uh, was haunted by a glimpse of Christmas future. The spirit of the Christmas future took him to a cemetery. And there's a scene where the spirit is pointing down at a grave with his bony finger. And Ebenezer Scrooge comes to face the reality of his mortality in that scene. But because of Christmas past, the Holy Spirit points those of us who've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, not to the tomb or to the grave, but he points us heavenward with the promise that eternal life is what awaits all of us who've received that gift of Christ. Christ defeated sin and death, and he invites us to the future hope and the promise of eternal life through him. This baby Jesus would grow up and offer the hope of eternal life to all who would believe? This is what he says in John 5:24. Jesus said, "Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life." So for those in Christ, death won't be the end, but the next chapter to eternal life. When burdens are removed and tears are wiped away. What a great day. What a great future that's going to be. You know, this Christmas you may receive the gift of clothes, but in Christmas future, we're going to receive the gift of robes of righteousness. We're, we're going to be made new, and we're going to be made like Christ. That where Our growth in grace is going to be complete. And that's a future that I look forward to. So just like Simeon, when we look to the future, we have much to be hopeful for. Simeon uh, knew that he, would, he could be content with his life. He could also be confident in his future, since he had seen the, and witnessed the honor of, of God, seeing God's salvation through Jesus, even the baby. And I think that's attitude so important because it puts all the other events of life, uh, all the traumas of life, into perspective. If we can be how Simeon was, knowing that when, when Simeon saw this, he knew that his death was approaching, uh, then if Simeon felt that way, how would many of us feel knowing that we have much of life still to look forward to and death is not necessarily at our doorstep, you know, how should we feel in that kind of situation? Because of Christ's coming, we can be content and confident regarding the future. Simeon's attitude stands in stark contrast to much of what takes place in our world today. You know, a few years ago, there was a magazine article that was written on New Year's resolution. It was entitled, Ten Little health resolutions with big payoffs. It's amazing how many articles are written this time of year, isn't it, about resolutions. Now, I think health and exercise are important, 
and we should and they should be appreciated. But what was interesting was a look at the top four resolutions that we make as a people, according to a Gallup poll. Gallup did a research, and they came up with the top four resolutions. The first goal, or first resolution, the highest priority that people make is that uh, they want to improve their personal finances. So if that's your situation, I think, again, Jim shared, we've got financial peace coming up in a couple of weeks. You ought to consider it. But that's usually the number one resolution people make. The second highest, lose weight. The third highest, get more exercise. The fourth highest, eat a better diet. What's going on here, right? It's all about our body, isn't it? Those, Latin, those next three resolutions. If our resolutions reflect our concerns and where we want to improve ourselves to have a sense of contentment, you know, these preferences tend not to be high goals. Except perhaps for personal finances, neither family nor God make the top ten list of resolutions amongst people in America today. We tend to define contentment in a very private, individual way in our lives, about how our personal lives are going. Since we set goals that have nothing to do with relationships, many of us find ourselves lonely and discontent, for God has created us to relate to Him and to relate with each other. So one of the effects of a culture that elevates individual rights and personal focus, as ours does, is that we tend to lose focus about how we can really gain contentment by interacting with God and with others. Where are the goals? Where are the goals that relate to pursuing God or knowing Him better? Why do resolutions for the most part tend to focus on external matters instead of internal, uh, what I would call eternal matters? Is the soul so unimportant that we don't focus on its care? If we're concerned for the future, wouldn't care for the soul be a higher priority? If, we, if exercise is valuable for the physical well-being, should we starve our inner being? Think about it. If contentment is based on externals that slowly wither away over time, will we not set ourselves up for disappointment on our long-term future if we focus only on external goals? Simeon, I think, shows us a better way. Something for us to consider. To know God is best. That means we can transcend our current circumstances. Because to know Him means to learn, in whatever state that we're in, to be content. That's what Paul talks about in in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Simeon can be content with the unknown future. He can be content with his present circumstances uh, in the Roman-occupied Israel state because his present circumstances do not define his future position. He can be content even as he faces death, knowing knowing that he has been carrying out the Lord's call on his life. His goal is to know God, with whom he's going to have a relationship with forever. Contentment means knowing the source of life of the one who can help us see even beyond our death. Furthermore, having seen Jesus and knowing him, Simeon is at peace. He's at peace in the situation. Everything else in his life, even an unknown future, pales in comparison. He has met Jesus. And the details of the rest of his life's resume are irrelevant. And the lack of control of the future outcomes doesn't seem to worry him. Again, Paul gives a similar testimony in Philippians uh, chapter 3. For Paul, everything else he's done in life, uh, it all... Uh, is an accomplished, successful Pharisee 
is like garbage comparing to knowing and serving Christ. One's walk with God and faithful service to Him are what define everything else about life. Because of Christ's coming, we can be at peace with the future. Look again at verse 29 from this passage we've been reading. This is what Simeon says after he meets the Christ child, Jesus. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In a chaotic, uncertain world under Roman occupation, with his life uh, drawing closer to death, Simeon is at peace with the circumstances and with the future because the Christ has come and he has met him. The peace of Christmas future. Do you want real peace in your life? I can think of no greater peace than knowing that God is in control. When I think about God being in control in this kind of situation, it kind of reminds me of uh, when I was a child. Um, we lived in Topeka, Kansas at the time, and it was around Christmas time, I'm pretty sure. We were going to go out to western Kansas to visit my grandparents who lived on a farm. And uh, after my dad got off work and late in the afternoon, we hit the road. Well, it had been snowing pretty, uh, pretty heavily the whole day. And uh, we, so we started down the highway, and there was quite a bit of snow on the road. And I think about that now today, and I think I would have been a little bit anxious uh, if I had to drive in, that, in, that, in those conditions. But, you know, in that current situation, uh, I didn't have any concerns as a child. I knew my dad. Uh, I was confident in my dad's driving abilities. My dad was trustworthy. And so when we got in the car to, to go uh, drive in that stormy weather, uh, it wasn't probably 30 minutes, and I fell asleep because I was at such peace that my dad had things under control. I think in my mind that's what Simeon is describing here when he's describing the peace that has come upon him because he's met Jesus and he knows that God is faithful and God is uh, sure with his promises, that he can trust in a God who's in control. I can think of no greater peace than to know that God has faithfully acted on his promise to provide a Messiah to come and to redeem the lost and the broken. And the same God who's acted faithfully in the past promises that Christ is going to return again someday and to make all that is wrong with his creation right at some future point down the road. I can think of no greater peace knowing that, that he's got it all worked out. No matter what's going on in your life right now, God knows about it. And he's not just sitting back wondering what he's going to do about it. No, you might be, but you can rest assured that he's not. He's got things in control. He's made you a promise. The creator and the sustainer of the universe has promised you that if you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he will save you. Because of Christ's coming, when we look to the future, we can be at peace because we know God is faithful and God's promises are true. Getting ready for Christmas not, means not just waiting for it to happen. Uh, it means that there are a few things to do before it comes. Simeon didn't just sit around doing nothing while waiting for the Messiah to come. He was seeking God expectantly. He was faithfully following God and he was serving him with joy and surrender. And there are lots of things to do before Jesus comes again in our world. There's still many people who are wandering around in the darkness uh, that need to be introduced to the light of Christ. Now, there's a story about how the caverns, uh, huge caverns that are north of Yellowstone Park were discovered one day. One day, one of the uh, early explorers in that area was climbing and hiking a mountain, and he fell through a hole that he didn't know was there. 
and he fell down many hundreds of feet into a dark, deep cavern. Uh, there was very little light. He couldn't see anything. He couldn't get up. He couldn't get out of this hole that he was in, this cavern that he was in. And he went many days without food or water. And every day he would cry out, Hope, you know, help me, help me. And he hoped that somebody would hear him and discover him and help him get out of that cavern that he was in. And one day, one of the explorers who had realized that he had gone missing, they, he was looking for him, and he heard a faint voice in the distance. He discovered the hole. Uh, he was able to get a group of people, and they rescued this guy out of this cavern. And they asked him when, they, when he got out of the cavern, they said, how did you hang on for so many days uh, and not lose hope? And the guy said, well, he said, that hole that I fell through, uh, hundreds of feet down, it just looked like a pinhole from where I was at, but it allowed just a very small ray of light to come through every day. And he said, I focused on that light and just focused on that light, believing that somebody was going to come sometime and rescue me. You see, for many of us, uh, many that are around us can be like that man down in the cave. They're in the darkness looking for the way out. Jesus is the light of the world. He's still shining today. Let's do everything that we can to help people get a hold of Jesus today. Jesus came to earth and he was born in a manger. And I like to think of it this way, that Jesus came crawling on his hands and knees as an infant to tell us how much God loves us. How important we are to God, that God would be willing to give us his one and only son to rescue us. And not just us, but you. That's how much God loves you. He's here with us today, right? And and Jesus died on the cross to tell us how much he loves us. He's here with us today and through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And someday, soon, he's going to come back and he's going to take us to be with him forever. This Christmas, however, there are still people who have missed the message. Even though the light of the world is shining, the darkness has not been able to comprehend it. Perhaps there's somebody in your life that still needs to hear the true message of Christmas. Maybe you're here today, and for the first time, you finally get it. You finally understand how much God loves you and what God was willing to do and what God is promising he will do because of his great love for you. We want to pray for you this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful. We're just incredibly uh, grateful for the gift of Christ at Christmas 2,000 years ago and the way that it changed our past, the way that it changes our present reality, and the hope that it gives us for the future. God, we're so thankful. And we come to you today, Lord, recognizing our desperate need for your love and for your grace and for your mercy, our need for a Savior who can come 